At blastpodcast.ca, we're producing winners, literally. Award-winning podcasts like Jesse and Jenna's Messy Podcast originate at blastpodcast.ca. Additional clients include Living Your Life with Leanne Lang, What She Said with Candace Sampson, and the City of Ottawa's Council in 20. Whether you're based in Ottawa or just need a top-quality audio and video studio while here on business, we are at your service. Just minutes from the airport, blastpodcast.ca. Welcome to Council in 20, casual weekly conversations with Ottawa City Councillors. Three questions, three councillors, 20 minutes. I'm your host, David Schellenberg. Today, again, three councillors from all over Ottawa. Councillor Tim Tierney from Beacon Hill Searville Ward. Rolls off the tongue. Good morning. Yeah, every single time. Well, actually, Beacon is spelled wrong on this. Uh, <laughs> councillor Eli L. Shantiri from Carlt- uh, West Carlton March. That's right. And uh, Teresa Cavanaugh from Bay Ward. Yeah, nice and simple, that one, isn't yes. it? <laughs> uh, Teresa, let's start with you. Uh, affordable housing. Um, what's the current situation with affordable housing in Ottawa? It's, a, it's a urgent. It's, it's, it's a problem. It's a big crisis. Uh, we have waiting lists, and um, what's being proposed in terms of lack of choice, for example, by the province is not going to necessarily help um, bring down that list. Um, it's uh, smoke and mirrors. What we need is more housing, and we need money put into it. Right. And I, I'm a big concern. Um, that, that whole thing about the choice, um, as liaison for women and gender equity, I really worry about safety issues. Uh, there may be reasons why people don't choose a place, um, and it's related usually to safety. And um, I'm particularly concerned about uh, women on their own, uh, single single parents, um, so there's a number of reasons that um, I have concern about that. This is rules being put upon us from the province, mm-hmm. and um, we're a municipality, and I'm also on the board for Ottawa Community Housing as well, and I'm concerned about the implications of this. The housing wait list, how long is it right now? Um, over 10,000, um, and um, it's not getting any shorter, it's getting longer. Right. Um, it's uh, it's a crisis, absolutely. Um, you know, it, it, it has this domino effect. Right now, um, we can't even get people into shelters. Mm-hmm. Um, women's shelters are a disaster. They're, it's, it's horrifying. We've had people calling us uh, to our office and telling us that they have no place to go. Right. And um, they end up at the Shepherds of Good Hope, which is not meant for women. Right. Um, they, they just take them in. They're not going to turn people away. But um, that is how bad a crisis it is. They're putting mattresses everywhere. And um, the thing is, we don't have the next step. We don't have the affordable housing for those people who could be in housing. So that domino just gets it stopped because mm-hmm. there's no place for people to go. And those people who are in social housing who would like to be in the next step up uh, for affordable housing can't do it because the, right. the pay uh, the the rent is astronomical, more than thirty percent of their income, which is what sh- it uh, should, should be. be. Right. So we've got a lot of problems throughout, and um, it, it's it's a big problem. Um, and the city's growing, um, and that problem is growing. Right. And where, as the list grows, any sense of what? How do people end up on the list? I guess is the, the short well, answer. Um, it, it's it's back to the problem of uh, the affordable. Uh, rents are are not there so they put themselves on the list because they can't afford where they are so that means they are paying more than 30 percent they are so they have uh, jobs there are people that have jobs but they can't pay the rent um, and have enough to eat and get around transportation so so they're all costs that are hurting them I've, i've talked to people that say look you know i 
I get X number of dollars. I have to put this much into my my rent, and this is all I have left for food. There we go with food banks because they're um, they're helping these people out because they don't have as much for food. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, never mind, you know, transportation costs, which uh, um, that's why we need very strongly to have the fares frozen for low-income people because they're really stuck, and um, it is a major crisis. Eli, how do you see that? Well, it's not just unique to Ottawa, though. I just came in from a conference. It's called Rural Municipality of Ontario, and, and we hear about it right across the province. Uh, the Minister of uh, Municipal Affairs and Housing, uh, Mr. Clark, Steve Clark, has uh, indicated he would like to see more housing, more affordable housing, but they have not given the detail yet. As you know, the land is very expensive in the urban area, and that prohibits you know, a lot of builders for in the urban center. So what we are negotiating with the minister, there's a lot of rural area have a quite a bit of capacity. We'd love to see whether a new Canadian or young Canadian family live in those areas, but the only way you can attract them if you have affordable housing. Affordable housing meaning you can have a piece of land inexpensive in a rural area if you allow the communal system. So instead of individual homeowner has to have his own waters on sewer, you can have a communal system where you can have almost a hundred home on one system or 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 more or less but the detail has not uh, come up yet how the the provincial government they're going to address that concern but let me tell you we heard about this right across the I've been in the city for 45 years and ironically in the 45 years I heard that 10,000 people on a waiting list like not once came up 11 not once came in nine so mm-hmm. honestly I'm not sure what is the in number. I know there's a need out there, but what exactly the real number is. Mm-hmm. And and sometimes people get mixed up with social housing where uh, you know you're you're on social assistance, you have no and then people who have a job but they cannot afford a market rent or market uh, homeowner and that's the one we keep pushing the government, we should help these people because we need them to continue working and and even if they subsidize rent, still they are working and generating. But they push sometimes the envelope to the people say, you know, maybe it's easy for me if I'm not working and then I might qualify for a full coverage of the social. And it it happened in a lot of places where where you are competing with it. But Mm -hmm. the province need to step up and help with with this crisis we have right now. And the, and the yeah, feds. And you just, and the fed, I was just ready to see you took my fire, even though I have a red cable on my microphone. Uh, I did want to say the feds. It's actually, uh, I want to say pathetic how little the federal government and the provincial both uh, contribute on such a, a crisis right now. Uh, I think I can go on about uh, the fact you're, so just for your listenership, uh, the province is now saying instead of having three options to remain in your community, just to follow up, you, they are saying now you only have one. And they think this is going to reduce the list. We'll see if that works. I'm, I'm not sold on it. My bigger concern, uh, just on Friday, as a matter of fact, I met with uh, Michael Maidman uh, with the food bank and all the food bank providers from across the city. And one thing I learned, uh, which I wasn't fully aware of, uh, is we're housing these people at about $110 a day in a hotel that's now converted into temporary housing, uh, but yet they don't have a fridge that is uh, larger than a shoebox. Right. Uh, so now we have this problem where the food banks want to be able to uh, give them more food, but they can't carry it. They can't do anything with it. Uh, from my perspective, this is low-hanging fruit from a from a city contract point of view, and I'm going to delve into this a little bit more and find out 
why we're not putting restrictions and saying at least make sure they have a regular bar size fridge like literal hotels mm-hmm. on, on the one on Carling Avenue for example yes. completely full there's mm-hmm. you're talking 200 children in this hotel and every day they have to leave and go two kilometers up the road to go to the uh, food bank get some food and come back because they can't store the food longer than a day right. they're not even allowed crock pots uh, I get the, the, the hot plates they might be dangerous but they're not even allowed crock pots brand new crock pots yeah. that, that the food cupboards have brought together and said this could help uh, an option for people to have more healthy food so I see there's a few opportunities and uh, I, I, I must uh, profess uh, I don't have quite the same issues in my ward mine's actually more about uh, we had a lot of Syrians come but they got good residents and good fridge and, and all that sort of stuff that we're providing for uh, these hotel living environments in my mind uh, that's a problem yep. and and uh, now I'm digging into it because I think the city can do a little bit more on that front and over the next month I'll be diving into it further yeah Switching gears, uh, LRT, of course, always a conversation in Ottawa. Eli, let's start with you on this one. Mm -hmm. What's this $4.5 million payment that the city made? Well, it depends who you're going to ask. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) uh, uh, I sit on FATCO, on sort of my card across the table. So, uh, I mean... There's a lot of talk about the payment and holding payment, and we're not going to pay, and we shouldn't be paying. And all this happened uh, during the time where uh, the LRT, uh, but I believe all that happened, to be honest with you, after the September, because we launched in September, Mm -hmm. and we had almost one week of honeymoon, or maybe a little bit more, and then the honeymoon was over. But if we understand from Mr. Kanalakis' memo yesterday, and he explained properly, and I, I think you guys have a copy of the, the memo, the media have it, anyway, everyone have it. It explained that the, the payment process was, you know, like you submit the bills, we, we agree to pay, but we decide, or the city decided to stop payment in, uh, in those months, October, November, and December. Now, Mr. Mancone, to his credit, he did explain why we uh, we have to hold back and and uh, some things need to change and now some people say well we're not getting a lot of detail and and I, honestly I'm not sure when when you run an organization like the city do you, do you really want to know on every small detail and and if you don't have the detail is that mean somebody's hiding like I mean what are you going to hide from like right. I mean, it's four and a half million dollar payment you can't hide it anywhere and honestly <laughs> but so for me been there on this committee I believe they explain it at the time mm-hmm. the payment is going to stop from October on okay and there's a process for payment because you submit the bills way before and then they give you the money. So that money went up by September for for, for what's been billed before. But mm-hmm. since the end of September or the beginning of October, November, December, they have told us they have not submitted any payment. Mm-hmm. But I think there's a bigger question here, to be honest with you. The big question is, do we still trust the people who we pay them a lot of money to be in the senior management position? If the answer yes, you trust them and you give them delegate authority, because they have delegate authority to spend a lot more than four and a half million. Mm-hmm. 
we delegate that authority because we trust them. We know they will have the city at heart. Now, if the question starts, well, we don't trust those people anymore, well, you need to deal with that issue. But do you really want 23 councillors and a mayor every time somebody submits us a bill for something? You have to negotiate that and mm-hmm. you have to approve it. You have to agree to it. You have not to agree with it. So so either you, you hire people where you can trust them and let them run the organization or you just review that contract with them. And the only contract we have, quite honestly, is with Steve Kanellakis. Mm-hmm. We don't have contract with any other employee. They all work for Steve K, and Steve K work for for City Council. Right now, if that's need to review, so there's nothing we can do. It's not nothing we can do. You can ask question. You can, but I mean, a lot of people ask question, but there's no trust. So mm-hmm. any answer you give, there's no trust. The trust has been removed. Mm-hmm. I run a business. I had people running my business. I pay them quite a bit. But, I mean, the day you stop trusting them, you pull them over and say, okay, we, yeah. we don't have that trust anymore, so you're gone. Right. But, I mean, until such a time, like you have to believe what they're telling you. It's, it's for the good of the organization. Right. Now, they can do better job in communication. They can do something. But unless something happened, nobody pay attention to that specific, uh, you know, when did we get the information? Well, we got it toward the end of September. They were saying they're going to stop payment as of October. But there's other bills in the queue that mm-hmm. already agreed to pay it because everything was running okay at that time. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, but, I mean, I'm sure other council would have a different And we heard it. Uh, that, that's fine. I mean... We all, I hope we all have the same uh, caring for the organization and the taxpayers' money. I yeah. mean, I think I'm not going to say, well, I care about it more than she does or she does more. We all care for that taxpayers' money. It's not our money, but we want to make sure we are transparent about it. Teresa, what do you think? I think it was a bit misleading um, in terms of the way the the information was presented, and maybe somebody had to be a little clearer in the question. Uh, did anyone ask, have you paid them anything yet? Um, don't forget, we had that honeymoon period of three weeks because mm-hmm. at the launch, we, um, we still had buses um, uh, at the same time. The buses service uh, that overlapped, uh, the, the full bus service, the old 90s routes, mm-hmm. um, still overlapped for three weeks, and we didn't start until October. October. That's when uh, the rubber hit the road in terms of uh, just being relying on the train. Right. So sometime in there, I guess they made that payment. And um, but we didn't know that. Um, we were uh, we're listening to the information of we're not going to pay these guys, but clearly there was a payment made. Yeah. And um, so it feels like. Uh, maybe somebody should have said, well, did you pay them anything yet? And I guess we didn't ask that question. But, yeah, no, it, it concerns us because I think they should just be up front and say that. Right. And and that, that that's what the information that we needed. Um, but, uh, it, you know, the, this whole thing that, you know, we're, we're, you know, we're not going to pay them because they're not doing their job. But, well, you, but you did do a payment and you didn't say that part. Yeah. And that's, that's the part that obviously rattled people. Um, you know, it's not fun to get memos at uh, 9 o'clock on a Saturday night to try and uh, clear it up. Um, then you know things are, are not going well. Well, and this sort of came out in the media, too, didn't mm. it? Like it was a roundabout way that the story came out. Yeah. 
Yeah, I don't like getting my information from the media rather than from the ones right. that are supposed to give me the information. Tim, did you uh, – let's bring Tim in on this. Did, did you take the train this morning? Uh, unfortunately, I didn't. But uh, funny story, on the weekend, I was uh, – on Friday, actually, uh, the four councillors uh, that represent the east end of the city were actually out on the platform talking about upgrades and modifications uh, to deal with the platform crush. So I think we've beaten it to death that uh, we want more information as far as the contractual stuff. I'm happy. We haven't paid since October. Um, but my real focus, because I actually have two stations in my ward, is improving service. It was a very, very productive conversation. We're talking about twinning elevators to uh, get rid of the one that keeps breaking so people with accessibility issues are stuck on platforms all the time, extending uh, canopies. Uh, there's a lot of stuff we're going to be doing at Blair Station to make the experience that much better. Um, I do also want to highlight the fact I think uh, there's a marked improvement since we brought the English guy in, uh, for JBA Associates. Uh, he's come in and has changed things. I don't know what's going on behind the curtains, but I, I'm sure that uh, they're setting priorities different, and you're noticing it because after he got to Ottawa, he's only been in Ottawa for a couple of weeks working on this, uh, suddenly more trains were being added to our tracks. Well, there seems uh, to be fewer trains but less problems at the same time. There, well, actually, remember, we went right down to about, what was it, eight, nine trains, and that was a very difficult time, and there was a lot of, why is this happening, and square wheels and all these weird conversations. Uh, but uh, he actually is uh, well-known worldwide for, he's the fixer, he's the Ray Donovan of, uh, of the light rail industry, right. and uh, he's here for a reason, and I'm sure he's making a handsome sum off RTG or TM, uh, but he's here for a reason to make sure that it gets fixed. I think that's our, our goal. We want to see this fixed. We can argue for six months after the fact, after the train's rolling, but it doesn't help anyone that's standing on a platform now freezing. Eli, did you have a last, oh, one, last, one last point? No, no I'm just going to make the point, though. I mean, it, if somebody submit to the bills during that time when work was happening, and and we agree to pay it, and then things start going wrong after you make the payment. Like I'm not sure what we're trying to establish here. Yeah. Uh, again, I think it'll go back to how much really we trust the people who is managing this system more than anything. One of the things that I keep repeating is that um, the LRT, it's got some problems, but the complaints that I get are about the bus. And every time that they have these problems with the LRT, they're taking buses away from the system. And um, I took the bus this morning. Mm -hmm. I waited 35 minutes uh, for a bus, and I could have taken two, and and, uh, yet I had nothing for all that time. Um, And it's partly because the traffic was terrible, but it was also, there's some issues here. I looked at my app to see when it was coming, and it kept saying it was going to come, and then it didn't. So, But that's the problem, it, it, and that's when people are waiting a long time. Even when we were down to eight trains, people had to wait five or six minutes for the train. But I'll tell you, 35 minutes at a bus stop is, is, is <laughs> more cold. problematic yeah. than um, even with the worst-case scenario of the LRT. So we got to fix the whole bus system. Changing gears uh, briefly to end this edition of Council in 20. Let's talk about hockey rinks for a moment. A story out over the past couple of days about we're losing our hockey rinks in the city. Tim, let's start with you. Is this true? Well, first of all, uh, I'm very heavily involved in minor hockey. I always have been. I coached for 17 years. Uh, I've sat on many hockey boards, and I know... uh, 
having youth out and participating in sport is a good thing. The problem is when it comes to hockey, the numbers are reducing very, very quickly, especially, uh, I would say, inside the green belt more than anywhere else. We're noticing uh, we don't have the growth that they do out in the outlying areas. And let's be honest with ourselves, it's getting far more expensive inside the green belt to live. So families only have the options to move out to the Cumberlands and the Peans. And you see their leagues, they're doing quite well. But inside the green belt, Hockey is unfortunately going the way of the dodo bird, which really makes me sad. So, of course, with that, uh, we have to look at our bookings through the city. Uh, We've seen that they've declined. It's a problem. So to be able to make it palatable and make it so it works, there were some rules changed in the last couple of years that Jan Harder and I uh, spearheaded about uh, how long. So you can't just go in block book and hold it away from people. So maybe girls hockey can't get in. There was all these things that were happening, which I think helped uh, bring more equity to the booking arrangements. But that didn't help the numbers. Uh, the only thing that can really help with that is having more than one pad. Having uh, two pads, three pads, all in one location means you can use the same staff. And instead of spending about $300 of taxpayers' money an hour to manufacture ice, you're reducing those numbers. It makes it more efficient from that perspective. Yeah, is the, is the drop because of the quality of the buildings or is the drop because of the, just the overall interest in playing hockey? It's it's the overall interest. It's a trend across Canada, unfortunately. We, I'd like to see, look, hockey's not cheap. And uh, when you're talking just for a recreational hockey, about $800 a year before equipment, uh, forget the tournaments and everything else that goes along with it. It's a great, fun lifestyle, yeah. but not everyone can afford that. So uh, unfortunately, you're seeing it in the numbers uh, dropping. And a lot of the new uh, barns, I'll call them, are more energy efficient. Uh, it's easier to produce the ice and clean the ice and keep the temperatures more controlled. And uh, I see it at uh, Richcraft Sensplex. Yep. Uh, you know, uh, the the uh, Potman rink was horribly inefficient before with coolers and chillers and all this sort of stuff. The new rinks are great. They're easier to clean. They save a lot of electricity. They reuse the water and recycle the water. Uh, so there's a lot of benefit in doing this, but it will create a problem for some of these single pads uh, where it was nice and easy for, you know, little uh, Johnny or Janie to walk over to the rink. Well, it might have to move over because we have to take one or two rinks out and build a new multiplex that would be newer, more efficient, but yes, it certainly will create some problems. Eli, are you out skating this weekend? I think we have. We don't have his problem. We have the other problem. We need more ice pads in mm-hmm. the rural area. And the uh, I've seen a huge growth in the outdoor ring. Like, I mean, outdoor ring uh, is uh, it's less expensive. If you have kids, they can play the whole season with the equipment. No extra fee for the league. Or, so that also is, is being grown, actually, in, in our community more than anything else. But Tim, touch on that. Is, is inside the green belt. I think we're seeing the decline. And uh, and let's be honest, the new Canadian who's coming to our city, they're not a hockey or ice player. So mm. we, we have to say what it is. It's more interested in soccer or basketball than they are uh, interested in hockey. Right. Teresa, we started with you talking about affordable housing. And I guess we're going to finish with you and, and affordable ho- hockey. <laughs> yeah. I don't play hockey. Never have. Um, I had two sons. They didn't play hockey either. They were uh, they did some speed skating. But uh, it, it's uh, but the, the issue in my area is there's one indoor arena and it's a little old Belltown Dome which is almost historic it's uh, it's very cute and uh, probably expensive to run but that's all we have that's all we have in Bayward outside right. of you know the uh, the community rinks outdoors and uh, we do not have a community center at all we have no community center um, and all we have is this teeny tiny little uh, 
facility. And um, we would like to hang on to these things because uh, there's not much recreation op- opportunity for us. Um, we have to rethink how we do it. That's part of our official plan. What we need is a full-blown community center in in uh, the Greenbelt where we do not have one yet. And uh, it was just forgotten. Um, that is problem. So recreation opportunities, yes. Um, but uh, I get the, the issue of the expenses. But if you take that away, you've left nothing. So um, try it. Just try it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll leave it there. Councillor Teresa Cavanaugh from Bay Ward, Eli Elshantiri from Shantiri from West Carlton March, and Tim Tierney from Beacon Hill, Searville. Thank you, everybody. I'm David Schellenberg. Tune in next time for more Council in 20.